everybody. Woo, look at how smooth it is. Oh, so good. Here we, we got go. it. Okay, yeah, maybe we got it. Maybe it was We smooth. got it? Uh, we got it. Possibly, yeah. Um, I think so. I don't know. Hopefully Chris is watching and he can tell me <laughs> if it's actually working or not. But hello and welcome to episode 15 of Laughing Into the Void. I'm your host, Tom. Co-hosting with me uh, tonight, as always, is the lovely Rosalind Paris. You can Hi! Uh-huh. And you can watch <laughs> previous broadcasts on the District Comedy YouTube and Facebook channels or listen to them on most podcast platforms. If you enjoy the stream, please consider making a donation of any size at district-comedy.live. And if you want to keep up with us on social media, check out the <clears throat> link in the description. Uh, and yeah, let's get started. Uh, here today with us, we have Ed. It's pronounced Smythe. Smythe, yeah. Smythe, awesome. Ed Smythe sure. is a unique uh, comic who serves up an absurdist and silly string of brain-twisty people and things such as Mobot, the comedy robot, Bronco Brad, the crooning cowboy, Oog, son of Og, 30,000 BC, and more. He performed a week-long show at the Rochester Virtual Fringe Festival in 2020 and has been a regular at the Finger Lakes Comedy Festival since 2016. He also produces his own feature show, Greek Comedy Hour, in performance spaces throughout the Northeast along with a virtual weekly Bronco Brad Dang Tootin' Good Time Show. He can perform for any age audiences with adult-friendly ingredients and a family-friendly language. You can find out more about him uh, by following at on Facebook at Ed underscore Smith underscore comedy. Is that right? Yes. Okay, great. Or his website, Ed Smythe comedy.com yep. um, And for wow. those of you who are listening to the podcast, it's S-M-Y-T-H. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Roz. Boy. I guess, yeah, I guess that's a good Every time point. I do a mic or a show, I have to keep correcting, well, not correcting folks, I'm, I, I'm <laughs> instructing them how to say it correctly. <laughs> uh, like, uh, only with Smythe, not Oog, son of Og. Oog doesn't have like an. Uh, I did have a host yesterday <laughs> ask how to pronounce Og, so, you know, we're, we're having troubles in that front, too. I appreciate, though, that he cared enough to ask. He's like, I want to respect the character's name. I'm on board with that, actually. That is a committed host, I will say. Yeah. But uh, anyway, now that I've interrupted Tom's no, no, no. beautiful crafted, it's not intro. interrupting. We are having an organic conversation. However, uh, sure. If if we're gonna if we're gonna start, um, we do start, yeah. uh, start. the same way every uh, episode, which is uh, we're gonna ask you. Uh, how would you describe your sense of humor to someone who has never seen you perform? Well, that's, I'm not sure how you might characterize that because sense of humor can mean way someone characterizes things that they think are funny and uh, things that they don't quite find humor in. Mm -hmm. For me, it's humor and comedy is all about, a good comedy is all about something that's thought out. And as long as it's thought out, it really doesn't matter what it is. I'm pretty flexible. I, I enjoy a lot of different types of humor. Sometimes I don't quite have the same kind of laughs as others, but if it's more more thought out or and it's witty, that's stuff that I enjoy. So I certainly can provide examples, but right. you know, and uh, uh, it's tough because even when I thought about trying to characterize what I do, and you call it alt comedy, and it's not really alternative that uh, that it's really out there, but rather. Um, it's different from the standard observational stand-up stuff. Yeah, and I think maybe part of it is just like 
the context of the kind of comedy I've been consuming. Yeah. Um, uh, you are the only uh, comic, at least on the TBNJ mic so far, uh, that has attempted to do a character, which I think is admirable, oh. and kudos to you. Um, oh, well, thank you. And you yeah, know what, I mean, Tom, I, I really... It's, go ahead, Roz. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think it's kind of cool, because you're the first person on this show, too, who's been committed to characters, and oh. I feel like it's, in modern comedy, like, I'm I feel like maybe it's a little bit of a retro style, but something be. modern comedy could probably learn from a little bit more. <laughs> well, you know? I, I appreciate the the, uh, the the way you folks are framing it. I don't even think of it as character, but rather just a cara cara caricature. That is, uh, the the intent is just to create a, that that comic tension and make people laugh. There's really no acting style behind it. In other words, uh, there's no Stanislavski method. I haven't invented a past. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, God. Trying to be caveman Oog uh, method version. Uh... Well, Oog can't be the past because things didn't exist before him. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. Well, the only thing is that, you know, with like Oog is then uh, to for the introductions to make up the backstory. I used to start off that, uh, uh, let's welcome uh, a recently freed from a melting glacier and then a pause thank you exxon Mobil. but it never got a laugh i i think people get too sensitive about the environmental issues um that's i think that's great one that's a funny joke two uh this is the point of the podcast where i talk about my encino man tattoo oh, okay terrific of unfrozen cavemen <laughs> yeah but yeah, so I, I, uh, I get behind that. <laughs> but um, so what I'm hearing is that like you kind of go for the more like wittier, well thought out uh, yeah. sense of humor, I guess, maybe when sure. you're consuming. And then uh, obviously your yeah. style, it has that in there. Like there's definitely layers to your comedy, but it's yeah. definitely like the focus, the focal point is around kind of these characters. Um. Yeah, you know, it, uh, in in both cases, you know, where you mentioned about Bronco Brad and and Oog Son of Og is, uh, it's really just kind of more of an out, an outgrowth of just doing just fast little bits with some type of characterization. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, you look at uh, what uh, Robin Williams used to do him every five to twenty seconds, some strange mm -hmm. voice or some strange person. And that was the same idea that I've done in the past in the stand up. It was just a matter of expanding and extrapolating on that and just building on it so to just to, to create something that <clears throat> you can sustain over a, a number of minutes right which uh you had to do for the uh what was it the week-long show for rochester virtual yeah 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 you you talk a little bit about that oh sure well well with the bronco brad is i i had to make up a little bit of a i wanted to compose a backstory to figure out then how how to create that comic tension so the idea is that bronco red was the crooning cowboy and i thought well that would be great then if he if he's uh has a, a weekly show like a like a kid's show <laughs> although it's it's all tongue-in-cheek it's not real but i just uh, then composed it so bronco brad has a thursday afternoon show uh, right after school <laughs> on uh, fictional station wexl in elmira new york 
So then the comic tension built up there is that uh, Bronco Bread is just singing these, these really obtuse songs about um, Polish satellites and uh, the Velcro kid and, uh, and then drawing, making art contest with a flying kielbasa. So <laughs> after a while, the idea is then, you know, the people start recognizing that, wait a minute, this guy is serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it kind of like... Builds yeah. over time. Um, right. Exactly. Cool. It's kind of it's kind of cool to think about. Like, it seems like some of the characters you pull from are kind of like those like pulp, pulpy like kind of novel comic book type concepts, like robots and cavemen and stuff. And, yeah, um, that's a good. I just think like put a rose. Yeah, like that. That like Tom and I come from like an improv background. Like we were in the same improv okay. group for up to eight years and um you know whenever i went to a character i just kind of thought of like one of those broad like broad like tropes like like the the popular cheerleader kind of thing like an archetype yeah the good way to to to, the the way i think about it uh then in that kind of approach is considering what john cleese used to discuss how the monty python built their success is if you're going to do absurdist comedy, you have to build a framework that that people can recognize in their mind's eye. So you build that those three walls of something that's familiar or common, and then you make a twist inside that box to create that that absurdity. Mm-hmm. That creates the comic tension, and then the release as the you're watching it as a viewer, you it's diff, you can't quite reconcile the framework you recognize to the absurdity that's being put in there. So like the Monty Python sketch, <clears throat> the committee for putting things on top of other things is a great example of that. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a drawing room with old guys puffing cigars and doing some type of uh, old boy social club chit chatter. And it gets out that uh, they're discussing uh, uh, their latest activities of how many things they put on top of other things. And so <laughs> that's the absurdity that's built in. Yeah. Or uh, I liked their take on um, with the crimson permanent insurance uh, skit with their take on corporate mergers turning into a pirate battle between two buildings. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of Monty Python, so I'm not sure. <laughs> but, yeah. Right. So, yeah, because uh, complete absurdity isn't necessarily funny, certainly not on a not on a gut level. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's that like recognizable framework i think that is like the audience right. is like okay this is weird but i can follow i can follow and right. then that's how you wanna, right that's how you like right. reel so, them in a little bit to get them on your yeah side. you got it Roz. right so you know that was the idea of just thinking that through is that okay so you know actually um the the origin of Oog came out was uh, when i was doing stand-up a few years back i started just developing a bit called um the dawn of comedy, 30,000 BC. And the idea was just there's so many people out there doing dating jokes and other trope jokes. So it was the idea of coming out like kind of hunchback and, and going, uh, dating scene, it crazy. Me, <laughs> no like. Airline food, yeah. <laughs> me, no like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you kind of... Uh... Well, I mean, it almost sounds like, too, you guys are kind of talking about, like, two different ways of achieving the same goal, where, Roz, you kind of mentioned, like, having, like, 
archetypes like the cheerleader as a way to kind of have that recognition immediately and have the kind of exposition that you would normally need in a scene that you're improvising and then you're kind of uh, going and correct me if I'm wrong uh, it sounds like you can kind of like grab a genre like uh, like old western or caveman Flintstones-esque uh, yeah. to kind of do the same thing yeah, and I've done other, tried other silly things um, that had, I just wasn't sure if the, how I, how much I could keep them going. I've had Henny the Swede. <laughs> I have not seen but, that one. But, right. Well, the, the challenge is, is that it, it feels a little limiting and I'm concerned that people will, will draw inferences that it's like uh, Andy Kaufman and that's mm. not my intent at all. Gotcha. And then uh, I, I haven't done in a long while since the pandemic. I used to try doing a Sammy Schlemiel, the Bible Belt comedian. <laughs> Sammy Schlemiel comes out in the typical Borscht Belt uh, old time comic with the big bow tie and big glasses. And he's doing riffs about, hey, I was uh, hanging out with Moses the other day and he kept separating the seas. I said, hey, what am I going to bring my bathing suit for? Hey, bada bing. Hey, hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but again, I think that, that you know, it was, uh, I don't know if people got the biblical references. And so I thought it was kind of a limiting approach that uh, it just wasn't getting the gut laughs. Yeah, sometimes I, it's it's weird to see what a, like with what an audience will connect with sometimes. Cause I feel like, you know, it's so specific to the audience. Something will kill with one group of people right. and then you're in another context and it's like crickets. Like, um, you know, doing corporate shows like for, you know, for people in front of their boss, they're going to laugh at certain things right. that they feel comfortable at. But if you're in, a, in with sure. the same crowd in a bar context with them all drinking, anything's fair game. It's just kind of, it's weird to think of how like those, those like targeted um, topics. Genres, yeah, kind of hit or miss depending on yeah. the crowd. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh yeah if you i know that for anyone being successful in this business if you develop a unique personality and a recognizable uh, unique approach that then that's the whole core the nugget of developing your own audience your own yeah. fans and yeah hopefully you're not you're like not just you're not you're not there delivering spiel <laughs> I'm, I'm learning that you know belonging to a gig salad is uh it's not really working out because uh, you know what i mean by gig salad no actually i don't think i've heard that term before oh it's a um it's an online uh resource where uh that uh once you set yourself up that people search for entertainers and if they mm -hmm. like and if they're looking to fill in an event or a venue is they'll submit a request and then people who are like myself or yourself mm -hmm. as an entertainer you can respond to the request so they're very typical. They're birthday parties, uh, Christmas parties, holiday parties, uh, senior center events. <laughs> I feel like so the they're going, we, we want a though. comic. Oh, yeah. yeah. We want some. Yeah, exactly. So that's a, you know, it could be anybody. They're just looking to blow off steam with laughs. Yeah. 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 I think the equivalent we had back in the day was uh, Dragon Up Connects. That's what that site kind of reminds me of uh, as far yeah. as like a casting okay. postings uh, yeah. forum 
Um, so I've done a couple. I, I did a, a, a library uh, in central New York that hosted a summer series, and that was okay. It was fun. Yeah. And then I got hired by, um, I was, I'm saying the line, not the Lions Club, uh, a fraternal organization yeah. <laughs> for like their annual event. And so I kept asking, I said, did you see the videotape? Are you okay with what I do? And I get the assurance, oh, yeah, it'd be great. It's fine. Uh, no, it wasn't fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then at that point, you're like, well, I'm on stage. Uh, yeah, that one, that one uh, I had to work through. Uh, the, uh, the review back to me was uh, too cerebral for kids, too silly for adults. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, that's okay. a little harsh. Um, but yeah, I guess. But I got paid. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's what matters. And I, well, I mean, uh, you nice. had like actual clips that they could refer to. So I don't think you can. Oh, be yeah, yeah. Well, that's just it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, that. it's like fair warning is like, OK, you're you you know what I do. You're you're good with that. And I got the assurance. Oh, yeah, you'll be great. You'll be great. You'll, it'll be fine. <laughs> it was fine to him, uh, the guy who hired me. Yeah, as long as he enjoyed it. Uh, well, uh, he paid me, yeah. So, yeah, but I don't <laughs> as long as he enjoyed it, yeah. <laughs> and the check cleared. The yeah. check so, cleared. Right. So what I do find is interesting is the best venues that I enjoy and, you know, that I really develop a nice rapport uh, are tend to be, um, first of all, if it's, uh, if it's like an open mic, then for venues that have um, complete uh, open uh, performers, that is musicians, poets, storytellers, Mm -hmm. uh, music open mics actually are pretty fun because I think musicians uh, can are more relaxed and patient. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do yeah. this um, one line or two line or shtick. They're willing to follow you wherever you go because you know musicians will you know obviously you do a song and someone listens to you for a couple of minutes to understand your lyrics or your sound. Same idea. Well, I think the audience can sometimes be a little bit more patient with musicians too like they know that right. there's a natural rhythm and a pace to the music yeah. and because yeah. of that they're kind of more inclined to like let the song happen and trust that right. there'll be a rhyme right. or a quip or something in there to kind of hook them back in yeah and in the same context is that then they're, they're willing to be more patient and open-minded when when i'm doing my thing awesome yeah um so Roz, you already got into a little bit uh, with the improv background. Um, both tonight and uh, on previous episodes, you've kind of said um, about how kind of immersing yourself into the scene was a way for you to get around a little bit of the, I guess, tension with the audience. Um, Horrible, crippling social anxiety, Tom. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> So I, I'm kind of wondering, like, do you feel that way with your characters when you perform? Is it a way for you to kind of, like, protect yourself? Or do you feel like, uh, you know, putting out a character uh, kind of makes you especially vulnerable? Me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. You're talking to Ross. I wonder if you, I want to know what Ross feels about it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, well... You know, it's like any like any stand-up bit you're doing. You have to commit yourself to it. Uh, I suppose I was thinking about that today and thought, well, it really does wash out both directions. In one sense, is once you make a commitment, there ain't no bailing out. 
Because if you bail out, the audience knows, is, oh, he's faking it. On the other hand is you don't have to excuse it. You're free to do whatever you want because now you're in the zone. Yeah. So huh. as long, like I think like, like for example, with the, like it's actually liberating for Og not to be able to articulate. So he can have a good time just pretending to do something goofy and there's no joke that has to be written about it. He just has to be his usual self to sell it. I would yeah. think with Bronco Brad, it takes a there's there's hit or miss. You know, Bronco Brad has written songs that um, it doesn't seem the audience is really getting into, <laughs> 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 which is why he only writes songs that last roughly about fifty seconds. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There's the trick. And, and that's exactly what happens. They, you know, it finishes a song, there's no response, and it moves on to something else. I also, too, I really enjoy this with other performers. And of course, this is critical for anyone who's performing. So I think of it myself as the first rule is you got to make yourself laugh. And if you're enjoying what you're doing, that intangible of showing that you're enjoying what you're doing uh, sends that energy to the audience. And so even if they're not buying it, they're at least satisfied that that you're doing you're on to something, even if they're not really interested. In other words, if I if I'm a great sushi uh, sushi bar chef and I'm doing my thing, you maybe not be really into sushi, but you can certainly admire what I'm doing with flipping knives and spatulas. Uh, someone shared a, an anecdote one time about what George Carlin said, so I'll attribute it to him. But if he did say it, that the the, uh, the a successful comedian is like a good taxi driver. The audience will go for the ride as long as they know you know where you're going. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty astute, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So the worst thing that can happen with a performer, and of course with open mics, you see this all the time, is someone getting visibly and verbally upset or frustrated. Going, well, I guess that didn't work out. And so, you know, and when they do that, I go, oh my God, because you, what you're doing is you're insulting the audience. Is they didn't find it funny. So move on. In fact, really good performers recognize that and they can make a they can make a joke of themselves purposely on how it didn't work. Johnny Carson used to melt that to so much success. Yeah. He would tell terrible jokes and the audience would groan. And then of course he would wallow in his in his awkwardness, <laughs> which would make the audience laugh even more. And that was the whole shtick. There's an entire there's an entire comedy troupe of kids in the hall named after Carson wiggling out of jokes that didn't hit. You can always yeah. blame them on the kids, the writers in the hall, the kids in the so hall. So that's the principle is is yeah. is is having that wink in your eye that you're demonstrating you're having a good time, even if uh, even if someone doesn't quite get buy into what you're doing. Yeah. They know that you're doing you're doing something good. <laughs> so is that kind of where maybe the vulnerability would come into play? Is if it's like, oh. They didn't laugh at that, and I'm doing things that yeah. I really think are funny and I really like. Uh, well, Tom, you must experience that yourself. It's one of those things is, on one hand, you work on something you're proud of, and it just it just does not fly. And on the other hand, you come up with something off the cuff, and it's getting belly laughs. Uh, you know, that happens. Yeah, I definitely think that there's... Uh... <laughs> some strong moments that just happen in the midst of it and reacting and riffing to your own stuff 
base. Yeah, maybe the the, another analogy is like being a good a good baseball pitcher, and you have a repertoire of pitches: a slider, curveball, fastball, changeup. You know, when you're on, it's working, and you're pitching a shutout. Uh, but pace, baseball pitchers shut uh, um, struggle. But good pitchers know how to get through their struggling moments if their fastball isn't working they just keep working their change up and their their slider it's the same idea with a good comedian is you're doing something the audience isn't laughing you don't you don't it doesn't reflect reflect badly on you you're just you got to just figure out what to do with your other things that you've yeah. got that's all yeah, you know and in an open mic a situation that's hard to do because it's only four minutes yeah <laughs> you don't have much opportunity to yeah. shift gears but if you're doing you're doing a regular performance, yeah, you got to shift off and and just kind of work through what you've got. You know, I've seen comedians, of course, they do uh, crowd work, and that's always the the usual standby when your regular material isn't working. Yeah. Yeah, and and sometimes you don't really do have a choice. Work. I mean, I, um, my partner. Here comes the part of the show where I inevitably talk about my partner's uh, bar, okay. but. <laughs> My partner owns a bar here in Baltimore, um, and Monday night is open mic night. And Mike Moran, friend of the show, uh, we have him on as an interviewee and as a, a guest co-host. He um, he's very he's a very funny comedian, very dry observational type humor. Um, okay. But there was one night I saw him get forced into doing crowd work. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> This guy wandered off the street and was standing in the back of the room and was just loudly asking Mike, while Mike was mid-stand-up set, um, if he could buy some acid off of him. And (laughs) Mike was probably the most normal-looking person there, who's also been sober for 10, 11, 12 years, and not not a crowd-work-type comedian, so he got... (laughs) to kind of like switching it up unexpectedly and so you know he did a great job but you know it just kind of makes me think like sometimes the situation makes you pull something else out you know you gotta you gotta be flexible like that yeah and that's typical of a comedy club situation so if you can if uh, people that are really good at it of course that's what makes them a success yeah (laughs) you don't you hardly remember any material they did if you're really committed to your act and you don't do crowd work, well, then, the, you know, the, you got to be strong enough. I remember watching Gilbert Gottfried decades ago and nobody was laughing at him. It was a really conservative crowd. So he just started doing this and going, maybe I should do some jokes about cats and dogs. The difference between cats and dogs. And you'll all be driving home like this because you have all have giant dre- steering wheels. And you'll be going, you know, that guy was really funny. He's got a good point. <laughs> There is a difference between cats and dogs. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, for us, all of for the few of us that are digging Gilbert, it's like this is great. He's mocking the audience. <laughs> yeah. I think we uh, we actually saw him. Tom, you were there, right? Yeah, for I what? was there. We had yeah, a little so, annual tradition. Yeah, um, our improv troupe. Uh, we all went to go see him together. And I think oh. the funniest and most memorable bit, memorable bit he did all night was about his favorite compartment of the refrigerator. And it freaking <laughs> killed, like it killed. And he was yeah. just talking about the butter compartment being his favorite part of the refrigerator. 
and right. people were, were just like wiping tears from their eyes i talk about it all the time and it's just oh, like yeah. it goes to show you you never know what the audience is gonna like yeah and kind of goes back to the point but of like that, that's a that's is, a as long yeah as you commit to it, it it can be right. your favorite yeah. butter refrigerator compartment <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that that that's that always one of Gilbert's uh, talents is just taking just silly or stupid mundane things and just keep beating it and beating it and stretching it and beating it, and that's and you're laughing at the absurdity <laughs> of what he's this topic <laughs> and his way of doing it. Yeah, it was good. So you don't. Um, it sounds. Uh, it sounds like you don't have any like formal background in theater or improv or you do oh uh no not really i've done i started off decades ago i was just having fun um for a couple of years with a uh, sketch group but oh, we broke cool. up and then I, I was just doing stand-up on my own i love doing the sketch work stuff the ensemble stuff it's so much fun it's great but it's just like being in a band people don't get along their schedules don't mesh they get testy with each other <laughs> they break up I so stand-up becomes a, a much more <laughs> yeah stand-up becomes a much more easier uh channel to uh focus on your career yeah um, but i've done um <clears throat> i've taken a little bit of nuggets of time off where i've done some uh, shakespeare plays oh. and that was fun because it gives a chance to to kind of stretch the wings a different way and, and become more disciplined in some parts of being on stage and and, uh, and then delivering to audiences. Well, and also having to sort of take that same commitment with somebody else's material uh, seems like a unique layer and a unique challenge that way that may also kind of relate to I, what you I, do I, with the stand-up on the reg. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, <clears throat> um, but I, what I only do is Shakespeare comedy, although my in my bucket list, I w do want to do one day the being the chorus of uh, Henry V. Remember okay. that? The guy opens up the, yeah. Oh, for a music a, fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a classic. That's a classic. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'd be a fun one to do. Um, maybe that could be a character for the next uh, stand up that you do is coming in as the chorus for Henry V. Just a bunch <laughs> of finger puppets coming in um, <laughs> you know it's funny about doing that is is puppets it, you you can live or die on that you know I, i've tried that in different ways like I, I used to do a um um what are you oh oh um oh yeah ancient rome sock puppet theater <laughs> but it just didn't gel you know you know you do it in a comedy club and it just you are getting nowhere with the audience with that they're just <laughs> confused or <laughs> benignly amused and going what <laughs> do you find you're able to kind of experiment more with these virtual open mics than you would be able to in the real life open mics? yes <clears throat> yes because what one 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 absolute virtue of zoom mics you can't get in comedy clubs is that you can utilize yeah. the frame uh just like but that you can't do with a real audience look like wally hey wally what's going on hi everybody hey wally Hi everybody! See now, Wally can kind of like just like, sneak in and you see it peeking in. Right. So that's the one fun thing is you can use the framework, right, Wally? You better believe it, right, Tom? Right. Um, and that's kind of uh, 
because when I don't have a reference or context for doing the real life mics, uh, are you able to like haul all of your costumes and your props that we see on like the TBJ <laughs> open mic to the various like nightclubs? Yes, I have a go bag. I have se- sometimes oh. I have several go bags, but you know it just gets really silly, and um, I've often chastised myself. But I really love doing the visual stuff, and so. Every time I write a bit and I think, oh, the clever little visual thing, and I'm going, no, 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 that's just another prop. (laughs) (laughs) So I really do try to think about how I can get away with doing something without a visual thingy to go along with it. Yeah. Have you ever gotten pulled over on your way to a gig and the cops have searched your go bag to see what it is (laughs) and they just find like wigs and makeup and stuff? No, no, because it's small. Like, I'll show you here. Go through that bag that was like, I'm just headed to work. I swear it's not drugs. You you know, if you have a VHS camera that you don't use anymore, you can use the VHS bag. Oh. VHS bag is really handy. So you got, you know, you got things like, like, you get a spare Wally. Spare Wally. Is he okay? Uh, That one looks a little rough. Spare spare box of crayons (laughs) and uh, a spare rock. Oh my God. (laughs) And then it's got little pockets so you can do fun things with balloons. There you, you know, go. And then a little pocket here. You got, oh, oh, hey, hey. <laughs> and what's the other one? Hey. Oh, hey, ho. Yeah. Hey, ho. Okay. All right, right. right. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when I was doing uh, the Led Zeppelin kazoo. <clears throat> and then on this Led side pocket here, you got um, the glasses. And on the other side pocket is a good pocket for the kazoos and the um, kazoos and uh, harmonica. Oh, and the feet. Here's another prop that never worked the little feet. See that? I've tried different things, but it just doesn't work. I can't get anyone to laugh at them. I love the little I'm feet. walking. Whoops, whoops. Well, Every day I'm talking. Every day. It's interesting because that's also another thing that may kind of change with context. Like I know that one of the, I mean, it's not like a recent trend anymore, but there was a trend going for a while on TikTok with the tiny hands. And that felt like it was oh, yeah. coming up in every single uh video that was going viral um but so for your style of comedy do you feel like it has any particular advantages or challenges well you know tom you've seen a lot of different stand-up and what you notice now is that most of it is obviously 95 plus percent of comedy stand-up comedy is observational Mm -hmm. So that becomes the norm. And so, you know, I talked about gig salad, that that's, if you're going to be an observational comedian, you can pick up gigs. Otherwise, you're, you're in a tighter spot. Uh, so, yeah, what I notice now is I'm, when people invite me to showcases or shows, I tend to get the middle spot. <laughs> I, get, I get the sense that they're going, well, you know, he's not really a headliner. He's so cute there, the little cave guy. We'll put him right there in the middle. <laughs> You're the mid, your comedy is middle child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I contemplate that and think, well, all right, you know, it's largely because we, we only do four or five minute mics. So yeah, I'm just gonna, you know, I only have time to do one thing. But uh, when I do my geek comedy show or geek comedy hour, I mean, is that uh, what I do is I break that up so that it's a full hour just broken up with all the various things that I put into it. So it has Bronco bread, it has Oog, it has Mobot, it has a couple of my little bon mots in between. 
So it's a full hour. Nice. And so what context is uh, Geek Comedy Hour in? Is it I'm like, sorry, say that again? what context is, is the show in? Like, is it like, is it a live show that you do pre-pandemic? Oh, or? I'm sorry, Roz. I see what oh. you're saying. Uh, I, you'd almost say it was a one-man show, but it, it really isn't that way. What I do is I at least invite uh, someone else to act as an MC. They can do some opening time and some time in between. So what I'll do is that it's an hour, maybe a little hour plus. So you get uh, the MC host doing his thing. And then, then of course, then, then I go in and out. Or I should say, well, I go in and out and then somebody else takes my place, whether it's Mobot or Oog or Bronco Brand. <laughs> right, the other characters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The so rest that's of the cast. <clears throat> so what I've been we're working on over the past 12 months now with the Zoom mics is just working on all those little five minute nuggets of things that I can eventually extrapolate into a, a part of a, a bigger show. Well, the, the Rochester Fringe Festival was an example of that is all those little five minute Bronco Brad things I could just put together into a half an hour. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people have been finding during this time is that it's a good time to kind of reflect and hopefully come out of this with uh, some more material um because i also think about the comedians who have kind of written off doing zoom mics as kind of uh beneath them um now to me that's kind of a disadvantage because i've found that it's a really good way to uh keep the skills sharp yeah. um, but i think that's definitely an well, opinion that some people have yeah and you know the irony there uh, tom is that for folks who really do want to commit themselves to a career that eventually they'll be on TV and all zoom mics are or zoom shows are, are just a miniature TV show. Yeah. And I've thought of that point before. It's kind of like, uh, what am I supposed to do? Just, you know, tell jokes on camera to a room full of people who may have heard them before or are also in the industry. It's like, that is, that is, literally being on like the tv that is television you just um, i think the people i get the sense the folks that that struggle or disdain zoom mics are those that the kind of the personality comics that rely on engaging and kibitzing with the audience well which is interesting because i am the type of performer where i personally am not a fan like if an audience member talks to me during a show, like I'll I'll talk back, but I won't enjoy yeah. it. Um, and I really do respect right. people who are able to do um, like crowd work. Um, but that is right. something that I've definitely noticed right. is uh, and, harder and, to do over Zoom. And maybe that's part of it. Is oh, it is mostly my only and experience the, I, doing crowd work is on Zoom. <laughs> it's very good point, Tom. I get the impression that club owners like that because that makes the experience unique. And that's what people then enjoy. And they'll buy drinks and tell their friends. Well, Whereas then yeah. if you're doing a straightforward act, there's no there's no variation. You're doing your act. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You got to live with it. And, and so it it compels you if you're doing a act, it's got to be strong and tight because you're mm -hmm. not going to vary with from it much. I think of the classic comedians that just had a act and that's, that's what they did. I recall like, for example, like, over over the years, decades really, you know, listening and watching to Emo Phillips is he doesn't do 
crowd work in the classic sense that you and I know. So uh, when someone might heckle, not heckle, but speak out, like kind of like shout stuff out, then uh, Emo would gently couch it into, uh, oh yeah, you're the guy that I found your head in a big bowl of coleslaw. <laughs> and he'd move on. So in other words, is he'd acknowledge it, but he wasn't he wasn't going to get engaged in the audience. Versus yeah. on the other side of the spectrum, the the you know the usual kind of the person who likes to engage the audience. Hey, where are you from? Hey, whoa, are mm -hmm. you two you two a couple? You're just screwing each other, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I saw somebody do that on a podcast. They go, oh, I miss comedy. I can't pick on people. <laughs> That's an well, how about that? Maybe you should sure. write an act. Yeah. <laughs> Well, on the other hand, though, I think that that's definitely at least um, one way that I'm trying to grow more through the virtual shows that we do is, you know, how do yeah. we then try and bridge that gap and engage the audience more? Because that tends to be one of the biggest things when it comes to, you know, are we getting people who are going to share the content, view it, and kind of get the word out? And the most effective way that I've seen people kind of do that is by engaging them directly. Boy, that, that's a that's a tough one, Tom. I, if you're successful at it, that's terrific because that's a challenge. It's it's a static medium. You've got the the framework here, just like a TV camera, and you have limited engagement. You can watch a wall face of a uh, wall of faces uh, on Zoom, or you could have people. Put things in on chat but there's it, it's not in, as an instantaneous in conversation and engagement as you would in a sea of live faces in front of a small room yeah it's just not it's two different mediums that's mm -hmm. all it is no yeah. and it's definitely uh, so, like how do we kind of make the interaction more instantaneous because i mean i think in general um unless the comics are also able to see uh, like the chats going on, like they're not necessarily going to abandon doing their set in the middle of their act to kind of riff with the audience. Right. I, I there's been a couple of times I've seen that with Mike's uh, um, the, the guys who run the Colorado comedy show, Mike um, Mike Langworthy and uh, Chuck Roy. They'll they they've got a, a level of success at it, but it's a it's a given. They know that Mike might interject while someone's doing their thing. Right. And so there's a bit of a back and forth kibitzing. But I like your Mike and you and Brooksy is it would just be awkward. It's like, why are you interrupting me? <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. I only got four minutes. Why are you interrupting me? <laughs> yeah, and that's a good point too. It's like if if you're we're just right. trying to work on stuff, I don't wanna have to oh, yeah. take my precious time with these short mics. I've also found that uh the set lengths have just been super condensed um in in the virtual medium like you're seeing i really like it of with course. like three minutes yeah. four minutes sure. um versus yeah. like what people i guess are used to you know that's interesting tom and of course you've seen where i i've i've done the public praise for the way you run the mic you and brooksy should <laughs> say and uh what i find is um the folks who run the more open-ended mics, you know, where they give unlimited time or, you know, six, seven, eight minutes, is that uh, for people that are not familiar with doing good, crisp stand-up, it becomes indulgent. They ramble on with a story. They talk about something cute where you're doing four minutes and it's like, that's it. Four, you give them 30 seconds warning, 10 seconds warning, and they're done. <laughs> they get cut off. So it really compels you to be succinct 
and to the point and make things crisp. Boom, yeah. boom, 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 yeah. boom. And I love it. Well, it's, just, it's interesting, too, because I feel like part of that is because um, one of the first mics I went to, I don't think it's running anymore, but it was the hack seat open mic. It was like same uh-huh. sort of setup where it was like it was a firm four minutes. They also had a timer going, which was something that I found really okay. helpful. So I wanted to emulate. But um, I was talking about with uh, Lisa, I, I think the other day, my co-host for Too Funny Feedback. And yeah. it's so interesting talking to her because I have some of an acting background, but she's kind of like the one who comes at it from a more professional view. And, you know, right. you talk about or not you specifically, but one talks about kind of, you know, three, four minutes not really being enough time for a set. And she's like, well, I, I anytime I go into an audition for a comedy, it's like do your 90 second monologue and then oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a completely different culture of performance where it's like, and then at second 91, we're going to say thank you and then throw your headshot and resume out because you went over time. So can't follow directions right. like just absolutely that ultra competitive, strict atmosphere. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Yeah. It, it makes, it make compels you to be disciplined in delivering on time, which is what, tv demands yeah now whether or not that's so, right um i feel like oh no a little right you got yeah. a good point tom there's no right or wrong to it rather is that's the medium if you want to be inside that medium <clears throat> now for joe and jane road comic who want to pick on couples and ask them where they're from and are they sleeping together and and commits with the entire audience from left to right yeah that's that medium as well that doesn't translate to a TV special. Not quite as much, no. No, not as much. <laughs> no. Uh, cool. Awesome. Um, so I looked at your website a little bit, and we touched oh, yeah. on a couple um, of your inspirations or your influences already, but some of the other ones you mentioned, uh, Monty Python, also the original Second City cast, the Muppets, um, right. Do you feel like there are specific qualities that you pull from those for your act, or are there any through lines that tie the caveman to uh, the AI to the? I also want to hear just like the conspiracy theories of like all of these characters exist in the same universe, like they do with like the <laughs> Disney movies. <laughs> well, in those cases, that. Uh... What I've also enjoyed for all those examples you mentioned is the fact that it's 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 just absurd and witty and well thought out. Uh, you know the 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 original Second City TV from I think it was like 1978 to 81. Uh, Harold Ramis was um, in the cast, and you could tell his bits. They were just there's a string of wittiness going through there. And when he was performing, as I shared earlier tonight. There was just a, this gleam in his eye. You knew that he was having a good time doing something. Uh, I think of, uh, um, oh, uh, one of their bits was Philosophy Street. And I know that Harold Ramis wrote this. <laughs> so it's like Sesame Street, but they're all discussing things like existentialism, <laughs> reality, fantasy. <laughs> and it's that kind of thing. that like, in college. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So uh, being stand-up, you can't get too esoteric or deep because people won't get it. So, for example, if I can get away with, um, like I'm now I'm working on Oog um, uh, doing his uh, um, St. Patty's Day special. And excuse me for a moment, what am I reaching for here if I can find it? Uh, oh, where is it here? Oh, help me just to the point that I'm having a, a very erudite discussion and I can't find it. Um, where is it? What do you do with that? Well, uh, so Oog um, um, pulls out his copy of James Joyce and starts reading it. Huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the idea that, you know, it, it operates on two levels is, you know, there's the surface humor, which is what, the, uh, you know, what you have to go for for stand up. But if anyone knows James Joyce, <laughs> there's an underlying subtle humor to it. You know, Shakespeare was very good at that, uh, that he could do uh, like a, a wordplay which was had a humorous level to it on the surface, but there's also a very coy double entendre underneath. And, yeah. you know, when you, you know, for the contemporary audience who got that, or for those of us who enjoy Shakespeare is, you know, you really, it's, it's a real aha laugh. You're really laughing at the subtle undertone of the second joke behind it. Right. So those are the kind of things you, when you're asking what the threat is, that those are the kind of elements uh, Monty Python, the original Second City, Doonesbury, uh, the um, uh, Gary Tr Trudeau, is it? Yeah, uh, the old Doonesbury was like that. There would be a, you know, the the four panels would have this visual cartoon to it, but there was something subtle in the little dialogue, and you'd, you'd laugh because he he was doing a subtle dig underneath the the uh, the surface humor. Yeah, it, those little details are always so interesting to like decode, like with. James Joyce, I remember having a discussion in one of my classes uh, back in college or high school about what a rusty bicycle pump symbolized in, uh -huh. in one of James Joyce's short stories. And, and I always think like, I always appreciate a comedian who can come up with like a detail or a double entendre like that, where yeah. you're like at home after the show in the shower and you're thinking about the show and you're like, Oh, right, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if your folks are familiar with it, there's a, that's a, a classic a dissertation of comedy. Is there's the ha ha humor and the aha humor. Oh. The ha ha humor is the Three Stooges. <laughs> the <laughs> aha humor is what you mentioned, Roz, is that little subtle witism underneath, and you go. Oh, and you laugh. <laughs> and there's the third ah humor, uh, which is just cringeworthy and shock. <laughs> Cringing. Um, yeah. Well, um, I don't. I don't get that counts. Although you know, I've done some some showcases with guys that um, do kind of that that kind of classic cat skill type of shtick. You know, the one liner, two liners. And when yeah. I'm laughing, I find myself laughing is not as much as the shtick that you know if the one liner lands. But it's this whole, hey, how you doing? Hey, hey, I was just crossing the street the other day. Hey, you know what I mean? My wife told me, hey, bada bing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing at that. It's such, it's such a, it's such a, uh, it's such a stereotype. It's great. <laughs> but I haven't told you my favorite, my favorite, my favorite current Zoom stand-up comics. Oh, do you want to tell us? Oh, my favorite. <laughs> there are a couple. And um, uh, one of them, uh, uh, two of them are ha uh, folks who are uh, from Indian descent, and I, I would struggle with their names. 
maybe he's been on your mic as Ashwan. Has he been on your mic, Tom? Oh, um, Ashwin. Ashwin, yeah. Could be. He does this really acerbic, biting humor about about modern society and how they view uh, uh, people of Indian descent. And it's great. I love it. I dig it every time he comes on. Yeah, he's very funny. Yeah, yeah. So that's one. And uh, and then uh, this other guy, he may not have been on your mic, uh, uh, Randall Donovan. Sorry, say the name again. Randall Donovan. Ooh. Uh, Donovan is one of those no, names where I feel like maybe it sounds kind of no, familiar. No. Um, I don't but think so, though. Uh, I, I'm pretty, pretty sure he's in New York City, and uh, he's revealed that he's, he's in the from the world of jazz. He does this, all these great brainy uh, little nuggets and bits that I just I find great. He, he does this one bit that I, <laughs> he talks about. Uh, what if the Buddhists had had stormed the Bastille? <laughs> and I love it. Uh, and then one that I haven't seen in a while and I can miss it so much is Darko the Clown. <laughs> oh, okay. That one I you haven't. Yeah, I definitely he hasn't has been, been on your on show. Um, yeah. Darko the Clown. It, it's a guy sitting on his couch. He's slumped on his couch with a Mexican wrestling mask, and oh, wow. he does non sequitur wordplay <laughs> they'll just come up with a premise and then just do this non sequitur pun about it <laughs> yeah just kind of like humor it, on this it makes no sense that. and i love it <laughs> just really, yeah <laughs> and i i'm not quite i get the sense that he's doing it on purpose he knows what he's doing but nobody laughs. Well, it's I'm probably on the hard floor. to tell with the mask, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's well, true. That thin line between absurdity and and just and just uh, uh, unbridled goofiness. <laughs> that's good. Uh, hopefully, all of them will be on the mic at some point. Ashwin already has. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Okay. Well, we're kind of uh, winding down with time, though. So sure. uh, we do also end the show the same way every week, uh, which is by asking, uh, what's up next for you? And uh, this is a chance right. for you to plug your stuff, but also if you're uh, willing well, to tackle it, it also, like uh, yeah. what your longer term goals are in, as in sure. regards to comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when the pandemic finally settles down is for me to then start re-promoting the Geek Comedy Hour. And I've been doing that at performance spaces, uh, coffee houses, uh, art spaces, that kind of place where um, they're kind of doing it. You might say a one-man show, although, as I said, usually a host or sometimes I'll invite another person with me as well. Uh, it's really, I, I'm really up in the air about how much I can penetrate doing comedy clubs. I have found to it's been appreciated that I, I am now getting invited in or if I ask a submit getting invited to uh, comedy showcases oh albeit awesome. as I was sharing with you I'll, as I was sharing with you guys I always seem to have that middle slot <laughs> so my goal is how do I get to be a headliner and I think that it really I have to just keep expanding some of the other things that I do so it's clear that it's not just these two or three guys that I do I only do those because it's only a four or five minute mic but I can do other things as well. Uh, so that's really the short-term goals right now, heading into the summer of 2021 and into the fall. And uh, yeah, eventually there would be great then to find a way then to then make a regular circuit or tour 
of either doing the geek comedy hour, um, doing comedy venues, or a blend of both. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so I'll, 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 I'll just I'll put the cap on it. Then you know the the reason I bring back Oog and Bronco Brad a lot is because people enjoy it and they love it. And to me, that's that's the bread and butter. Yeah. So you, you see what I mean? Is I, I struggle with you, the bread and butter works great, but I don't want to get um, boxed into that. What do you call it? Stereotype. Yeah. Or like Leonard Nimoy could Leonard yeah. Nimoy could never break away from being Spock, no matter how hard he tried, because he was Spock. Yeah, and it's the same idea. Uh, or uh, you do you remember Ruth Buzzy? No, I don't. But oh, okay. Oh, uh, Ruth Buzzy doing phone. this. Big, do Ruth Buddy doing? Uh, I think it was Maud. The character was Maud. She was dressed up in the frumpy outfit, and uh, and she did the Dean Martin roast a lot. Okay. It was a singular character. Or how about uh, Foster Brooks? I mean, I I get like. What you're referencing, like when you get so I'm going back to ancient of, time, uh, stuck in a character that you're well known for portraying. Yeah, as exactly. Hard as you think yeah, outside that context. Yeah, pigeonholed. If you well, will. in other words, yeah, you I yeah. enjoy doing a lot of different type of comedy, so I don't want to just necessarily get get pigeonholed. Maybe that's a good term for it. But yeah. if you want to pay me for that pigeonhole, sure. Hey, <laughs> the money's right. Okay, all right. Um, well. That's all the time that we have for today. So uh, I just want to kind of take us out by saying uh, thank you, Ed, for being thank such a great you, guest. Thank you. Uh, hanging yeah, out with fun us. Conversation. Yeah, it was a it was a good time. So uh, you can find him on Facebook at Ed underscore Smythe underscore comedy or at edsmythecomedy.com. Thank you, Roz, as always, for being a great co-host. And a big thanks to you, our audience, uh, for watching the program. If you enjoyed the stream, please consider making a donation or following us on social media. You can find the links to those in the episode description. And tune in next week as we interview uh, Chicago-based comic Tyler Fowler. Uh, so that, that'll, be a, that'll be a fun episode, I'm sure. But that's it for us tonight. Have a good night. Bye.